All right. Hi, welcome back to U Squared, a UserWise podcast. I'm your host, Alden. Uh, I'm an engineer here at UserWise, and I'm joined by my guest today. Yeah, hi everyone. I'm Riley. Uh, I am also a human factors engineer. So before we get into what we're talking about today, I just wanted to introduce the podcast. Uh, U Squared is a discussion of the exponential benefit of useful usability, and it aims to help pull back the curtain and demystify guidance from the FDA. U Squared is presented by UserWise, a San Jose-based human factors consulting company. Our consultants partner with medical device companies to aid in the design process to help develop medical devices that are safe and effective. So. If you didn't get a chance to listen to our earlier episodes, uh, we recommend starting there, since during those episodes we covered the eight, uh, human factors process, beginning at user research and uh, risk assessment, leading all the way up to the validation study, which is then submitted to the FDA. But today, uh, we're going to take a deeper dive into validation studies and talk about uh, what you would need to consider when you set up the use environment of the study. We will also cover what happens after a validation study if there is, say, uh, a design change that's needed. Um, and what we're covering today in that regard won't apply to the validation study if it fails or if the submission is rejected, because that will require a whole new validation study. But instead, we're going to talk about what if one part of the uh, validation or what if one part of the device changes uh, and needs to be evaluated further. So before we get into that, um, what's new, Riley? Um, let's see. Uh, I've been working on some fun projects recently here um, and otherwise been enjoying the, the snow out in um, Tahoe recently. Um, and yeah, I've been also spending some time reading uh, as it's one of my goals this year to try to read a little bit more. Um, I recently read a book called Blink by Malcolm Gladwell, and there was a story in this book that uh, made me think of the work that we do here at UserWise. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd love to share it with you if, uh, if you're okay with that. Yeah, I'm <coughs> eager to hear it. Great. Um, yeah, so in, in the book Blink, which is about um, decisions that are made um, based on intuition, uh, there's a chapter um, that tells the story of New Coke. Um, and so um, basically it goes on to say that in the 1980s, Coke and Pepsi were competing for uh, consumers. And uh, I think at the time Coke had more uh, people uh, buying Coke than Pepsi. Um, but Pepsi started coming out with some advertisements uh, where they had uh, random people on the street uh, taste a sip of Coke and a sip of Pepsi, but it was a blind taste test, so they didn't know uh, what, you know, what they were trying. Um, and in these 30-second commercials, um, at the end of the blind taste test, the users usually picked Pepsi over Coke, uh, meaning that they preferred it. And so this led Coke, the uh, manufacturer, to reconsider their uh, soda. And so they uh, put their heads together and they ended up actually changing the formula and the taste of Coke. Um, they made it a little bit sweeter and um, they made it so that it tastes a little bit more like Pepsi. Um, so they released this out and they called it New Coke. Um, so they were really excited with the release and, you know, put a lot of ads into it. Um, but they were surprised to see that a lot of people actually were upset with the change. Um, and so um, one could say that they were 
that people were upset just because they don't like change. Um, but Malcolm Gladwell had an interesting take, um, which is how it ties back into usability, um, where he suspects that people enjoyed a sip or people preferred a sip of Pepsi, but a full can of Coke. And so he goes on to say that um, these blind taste tests basically didn't properly simulate a realistic scenario. Um, and so um, in real life, if someone were to drink a can of Coke, they might do it while watching TV or while eating something. And so that experience might impact their preferences differently. Um, and so I found it really fascinating, just the story on its own about Neat Coke, but then also um, comparing that to the work that we do here um, and how we put a lot of thought into making sure that we mimic the environment um, to be as realistic as possible. And I guess what I'm trying to say is that it, it reinforced uh, the work that we do in, in making sure that we do all of that. And I know mm -hmm. that this is a consumer product, different than a medical device and everything else, but uh, just thought it was an interesting story. That is very interesting. And it does <clears throat> definitely tie back uh, into you know, uh, usability studies and especially the environment of use because you'd end up with a pr the problem that coca-cola had right um it wouldn't be representative of you know what uh the actual use environment that a product is actually being used in in real life um so you know just like coca-cola um to avoid their mistake you definitely want your testing environment to you know match uh match up with like how it's being used in real life uh, and there are many things to consider about the simulated environment, such as, um, say, the uh, location where there are, you have to consider the space constraints or uh, the type of furniture that might be included in the uh, use environment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, lighting, I think, would also be um, something to consider. Is the present lighting bright enough? Um, is the color temperature correct? Will it introduce glare? If your device has a screen on it, that might be important. Mm -hmm. uh, background noise too. So if you're using a device with a lot of audio prompts, um, you'd want to make be sure that the user can hear uh, the prompts based off of the actual noise that uh, is present during real world use. Mm -hmm. So you'd want to make sure the noise is loud enough uh, to represent that. Um, and the use scenario itself, um, if you're using like a uh, emergency use device, for instance, uh, you'd want to introduce some sort of urgency in the use scenario yeah. um, to see if like people can use uh, the device under under stress. And that might influence such things as like how big the buttons are or how long the prompts are that are given to a participant, if there are any prompts given to the participant uh, or user. Um, so yeah, those are all things to consider for sure. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> I think those are all really good points. And I think those are, uh, each of those aspects are things that not only the FDA requires, but at UserWise, we put a lot of care into making sure that we're uh, accurately representing those conditions. Um, and we're able to do that based on the, the research that we've already done in each of those conditions or experience mm -hmm. we have from, from other projects as well. Um, but um, I'd love to even think about it um, f maybe for each uh, scenario uh, or for different types of medical devices. For instance, um, for a surgical robot that's used in the hospital, um, you probably, it's a, it's a good idea to simulate, like Alden said, the lighting conditions. So 
Um, oftentimes there's the overhead lights over the patient table that you would want to make sure that you have um, because good visibility is crucial to, to use of a surgical robot. Um, and then uh, you mentioned location. Um, so there's things like space constraints. Um, whoops. Um, oftentimes operating rooms can also be really crowded. Um, so it's important to take that into consideration and design that in, into the study because it might impact use of the device as well. Mm -hmm. um, things like background noise, are there alarms going on in the background or maybe just people talking um, or some uh, surgeons even like to play music. So uh, perhaps that's a good idea to, to offer that as a possibility. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, I guess in contrast for something that a medical device that's used in the home environment, um, you'll also want to take care to consider these things. Um, so for instance, if we're talking about a CPAP machine, um, the, the space that it takes up at, at the bedside um, and or maybe a medical device that is in a common space. Um, you know, you would want it to not be too obtrusive uh, because the person using the device maybe doesn't want to show off that they have this medical device. <clears throat> mm -hmm. um, I think lighting is usually pretty straightforward in the home environment, but maybe things to, to think about are like windows and natural light and how that might impact use. Um, and then in terms of background noise or use scenario, uh, there's definitely a lot to think about in the home environment because there are a lot of variables that tend to be out of the manufacturer's control. Um, like unlike a hospital, which is a very controlled space and um, very clean, um, that may not always be the case in the home. Um, so uh, it's, it's helpful to consider um, what kind of resources they may have um, in terms of like number of outlets or um, horizontal spaces and like other factors as well, such as pets. Um, I think we've talked about it before on the podcast. Um, and it's, it's always an interesting thing to design for. Mm -hmm. And those are definitely different than when you're designing for an emergency device, which introduces mm -hmm. even more, uh, differences. There's some overlap, but there are definitely differences in these various factors with emergency devices, such as, you know, AED, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of location, uh, emergency devices are more likely to be used. They can be used in a hospital, but in, they can also be used in a public space. Um, and the lighting um, can, you know, be alike uh, based, compared to a hospital use or home use environment, but it could also differ. So, mm -hmm. you know, you would possibly use it indoors or even outdoors. Um, you know the 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 sound level and the background noise is probably louder because you're probably going to be using it in a crowded space mm -hmm. uh, potentially. Um, the use scenario, though, you know, generally they're more urgent. Like that's uh, probably like a, a big difference. You know, um, unlike home use environments or hospital use environments where they're more measured in in terms of like the 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 usage, and you could take not take your time but it's it, you know you don't have like a time limit to use something An emergency device there's usually uh, a time limit that you have to use it within yeah definitely <clears throat> and so uh i guess what you're saying is that if you have an emergency use device it's important to simulate that emergency scenario right and um for the participant in the usability study mm -hmm. make it feel like to them there's actually uh you know a, a a person experiencing sudden cardiac arrest in the case of an AED, right? So they need to act fast. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, sense. 
if you don't consider that, you know, things could not go so well. Yeah, um, definitely. I remember uh, there's this show before uh, called Real Sports. Um, uh, I remember they had an episode where they uh, uh, they talked about uh, or, or they referenced usage of a, an AED mm-hmm. um, on the field. Um, and they found that the person using the, the AED was too scared to press the, the administer shock button. Gotcha. So it could have been, a, you know, in that case, it's like, you know, we don't know the full story of the design behind that device but it could have been that um you know they they didn't you know correctly vet the prompts or or the usage of the device the device under like an emergency use scenario um yeah because that's something that maybe could have been uncovered in a usability study where like if you did simulate that emergency use scenario and you recognize person after person gets to this point uh where they need to administer shock but they you know maybe are too nervous and they can't find it or whatever mm-hmm. um whatever may happen but yeah that's super fascinating mm-hmm. and you know it's something that we you know human factors professionals definitely should consider and it's mm-hmm. something uh, that we considered recently actually because uh, we uh, recently ran a confirmatory study mm-hmm. and you know e- you know uh, with a confirmatory study um it's important to simulate everything, but you know w- we didn't really talk about it on the podcast yet. So, mm-hmm. um, well, for, first off, um, uh, what is a confirmatory study or a delta study? We'll wait. Can we? Okay, okay. we'll start from. Do you want me to talk about the AD and what? What did I say? Confirmatory study line. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um, Chris is like, please stop. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, wait. Where, where, uh, I could I could say my thing on the AD, oh. and then you can pick it up. Or where do you want to pick up? Uh, I could, you, you, we can say probably like after you know you talked about the AED. Yep, and I, I was like, it'd be important to simulate this in an emergency use scenario. Emergency use scenario, yeah, because because yeah. directly there, like you could cut and then go to like. Um, but if you can ask the question again to start with, so that we can try to match it up there. Uh, the question of um, what is a confirmatory study? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I think that was... Or you want to reorder it. Pro- probably, like, is it possible to cut, like, right after we finish talking about the real sports thing? And then, like, restart from, like conducting a confirmatory study or like well you transitioned into talking about confirmatory stories and then you're like well before i go any further like what is one so just have that in mind that that's where it's going to transition is you just brought up confirmatory studies like as you were segueing off yeah the last topic right i yeah i recently i realized like i, I kind of went out of order here oh, so okay. maybe we can like oh you want to change okay or, or or we can we we could go from there and then we could talk about you know the yeah, experiences we did whatever you whatever you want to do all then and whatever works for you guys yeah, yeah. Like okay do. um yeah i i realized look, looking at it that this is a rhetor- rhetorical question sorry um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i was like i was like oh wait that's me <laughs> it's green uh, <laughs> i was just kind of like hmm, yep <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what <yep>. is what <laughs> um all right where would where where should we go from whatever you want to do or Chris uh do. maybe you could talk about uh, in so what is a confirmatory study? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you could talk about. And then I pick up. 
Yeah, and then okay. and we could talk about like yeah, we had a good experience. It was challenging writing the use scenarios, okay. etc. Let me read this. Typically, it's a type of usability study that may be done after the design change to show. Yeah, okay. And then say we had a good experience working on one. Right. Check this while we're doing that. Oh. Had a good experience. Scenario um, things to consider, different things to consider. This is a allocation. Okay. Okay. And then and then I could go there. Okay, that sounds good. <clears throat> so can you ask the question and then I'll go? Okay, so what is a confirmatory study? Yeah, um, so a confirmatory study, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is the worst, this is what happens. Okay, no, we are on a roll, okay, we're, we're keep good. it going. We're good, yeah. Okay, go. Okay, <clears throat> so what is a confirmatory study? A confirmatory study is a study that uh, may take place after a validation study mm -hmm. um, and after the design is changed. So for instance, uh, if a manufacturer does a validation study and then they need to make design changes in order to improve the device and the usability of the device, then uh, after those design changes are made, it's a really good idea, uh, strongly recommended, to do a confirmatory study where uh, you would validate that any critical tasks associated with that new design change um, are, are safe and effective for use. Um, so we actually uh, had the opportunity to work on a confirmatory study recently. Um, and I think each of us had a good experience working on it. And um, it, it helped reinforce some of the um, things that we already knew, um, but kind of got to see it like in in reality um, through mm -hmm. working on this study. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it was definitely challenging com coming up with use scenarios um, because it's a a lot, and we'll go into this more um, in a bit. But it is a lot more of a targeted study than mm -hmm. a validation study, um, and as a result, we had to get quite creative with the use scenarios um, and the. Uh, along with that, there are many other things, different things to consider versus uh, a validation study. Um, so, uh, for instance, well, first let's talk about what is similar to a validation study. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, so confirmatory studies similar to a validation study, um, they need to simulate the realistic environment. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's also important to have production level units, uh, make sure that you're testing the most up-to-date design um, and I think uh, in terms of uh, the environment that you would want to simulate for a confirmatory study um, it's a good idea to if possible simulate the same environment that was tested in the validation study um, so for instance uh, let's take a reprocessing device um, which um, typically is used in a sterile processing department, um, which is a, a space that has like a sink and um, lots of cleaning materials and things like that. Um, well, let's say you only need to test one component of the design that was changed, which is used in this sink. Um, 
even though you may only be testing that one particular scenario, it's a good idea to still have a representative environment um, through, throughout the entire room mm-hmm. um, because otherwise uh, y- you wouldn't really help the user uh, feel like it was a real life scenario. Yeah, that's true. And like similarly, uh, you'd also make the same considerations or different uh, considerations along the same line for, say, an inhaler or EpiPen. Um, so they're used in typically uh, in emergency scenarios, and s- sometimes these devices are not on a person uh, when they are experiencing a scenario, so they'd have to walk to go get it. Uh, so th- even something like that should be considered when you're setting up the location for your use environment. Yeah, definitely. That's a really good point. And I think it's uh, it's important both in validation studies but also in confirmatory studies. And I think with confirmatory studies that's sort of where like uh that that component might be able to be missed because um because of the way the study is designed Mm -hmm. um so let's let's keep talking about similarities to the validation study um another thing which i mentioned earlier uh for confirmatory studies is it's important to evaluate all critical tasks um but in the case of a confirmatory study it's only necessary to evaluate the critical tasks for components of the device that have changed. Um, oftentimes that's gonna be a lot of the device, um, but you know, I guess it depends. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so um, I think that this is helpful uh, because it allows the usability study sessions to be a little bit shorter in length mm-hmm. uh, because maybe you're not testing uh, 30 critical tasks, but only 15. Um, and, and that was our experience when we were working on a, a confirmatory study as well. Oh yeah, they were they're quite quick sessions, I believe. Mm-hmm. You know, 30, 30 or so minutes, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, like the uh, the original validation study, they're much longer, closer to something like an hour, because they mm-hmm. they have to test more tasks. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. Yeah, but that does require more clever design because you don't want to cut out too much uh, from the 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 workflow, but right. you also don't want to test what you don't need to test. Right. Definitely. Um, and so what else is similar? Um, unlike for formative studies where uh, you might be generating ideas from uh, the participant, um, a confirmatory study is similar to a validation study in that you are just validating um, that the user is able to safely and effectively use the device. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, <clears throat> I guess th- there's one difference that I can think of um, or one notable difference between confirmatory studies and validation studies, and that's um, that a validation study requires 15 users, but for a confirmatory study, there's no requirement necessarily to have 15 users. Um, And sometimes you can achieve um, a a successful confirmatory study with less than 15 users. Absolutely, yeah. Um, And yeah, while definitely um, sometimes uh, 15 users uh, would be ideal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not a requirement. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. Yeah, at least uh, uh, what we experience in our uh, confirmatory study that we've done. Right. I guess you can consider it similar to a delta study, which is another uh, term for a type of study that we've done at UserWise, mm-hmm. um, where, uh, like, it, one, I guess, similar to what we've just been talking about. If If there's a component of the design that's changed, you only need to validate that component. And so... Um, sometimes you're able to achieve that with less users. Um, yeah. 
(laughs) That's all, you know, uh, quite a lot to think about. And definitely we could talk more about, you know, the, you know, the differences between that and a validation study and more of our experiences. But uh, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for this episode. Mm -hmm. Um, So what are your thoughts uh, on uh, both developing uh, environments for validation studies as well as uh, confirmatory studies and the difference between confirmatory studies and validation studies? Uh, do you have any questions about any of the topics that we discussed during this episode? Uh, let us know in the comments or go ahead and visit our website at www.userwiseconsulting.com. Um, you'll also find links in the description for any resources that we may have covered in this episode, uh, as well as our contact information. Um, but until then, um, thank you for coming by. This yeah. was really insightful. Thank you so much for having me. It was great yeah. talking with you. Wonderful conversation. And thank you for tuning in and watching. But until then, see you next time.